Hi everyone, I'm Madeline Park, stylist and vintage fashion hound. I believe everything has a story, whether it be clothes or the people that wear them. If my objective was to venture style stories into more visual and event-based mediums, what better than to land a place in the Vivid Sydney Festival? Honoured to be hosting Fashion's Flash, Back to the Future, Season 8 shares the style and stories of the forward-thinking talent who've joined me on the journey of producing this event, which will take place on June the 7th at the UTS Great Hall in Sydney. This series will continue to share stories of creative people with a strong sense of style, but with a vivid team, united by their can-do views and dream big visions. I hope these stories help seek change, spark a new idea, or just inspire you to shine. Today, I'm chatting with Hayley Pigram, urban Aboriginal artist represented by the Bumali Aboriginal Artist Cooperative. Hayley handmade each unique artwork made from lights, integrated into the upcycled fashion collection featured in the vivid event, Fashion's Flash Back to the Future. While Hayley's use of bright colours and desire to work with unusual art mediums naturally align her to this project, it's her story of being a modern woman with an ancient heritage that has been the most poignant point of connectivity. Hayley's sustainable fashion choices may often be practical in nature, However, it's her style to artfully push boundaries and challenge ideas for both herself and for others. And it's this desire for continuous development that sees Hayley's confidence rise in the demonstration of her style and the telling of her story. I hope you can sit back, relax and enjoy listening to Hayley's story. Today I'm meeting with Hayley Pigram, who is the wonderful artist joining me to um, participate in my um, extremely ambitious, vivid project. <laughs> um, and Hayley, uh, I thank you so much for coming on board to the project because it takes a very um, unique mindset <laughs> to to dream up and um, actually uh, execute making artworks out of tiny fairy lights that are going to be sewn onto clothing. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. Not excited about the deadline, <laughs> but I'm very excited about the making. Um, and, and so far it's been fun. <laughs> That's a word for it. Well, today's the first day I've obviously seen all the work kind of coming to life from your end. And as I said before, it, um, it's bringing me to tears seeing it actually literally come to light. Um, but I want to share your story today and um, get everyone to understand more about who you are. Uh, you describe yourself as an urban Aboriginal artist, um, so I think that's a great starting point. Can you explain to me uh, what that means to you and what that says about how you've grown up? Um, yeah, I think that um, I describe myself as an urban Aboriginal artist because uh, I've never really lived anywhere outside of Sydney and its suburbs. Mm -hmm. um, so where I draw my inspiration for my art is from a lived experience of an urban life experience. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have any experience living in a rural or remote area, um, but my country is in Sydney. Mm -hmm. 
so I still have that connection to my country and I still have that um, traditional connection. It's just that my traditional country is suburban. Um, so when I think about my country and what it means to me, it's not always about um, the way many people think about um, Aboriginal country where they think about it being, you know, the rolling plains or a dusty earth or any of those like bush related metaphors. For me, most of my country is uh, covered with housing projects and, um, you know, a few parks mm -hmm. and rivers and things like that. So the way that I think about my country is different um, and therefore the way that my art represents my country is different to the way that someone who grew up on their country in a more rural or remote um, experience would would show that. Yeah. Uh, so I, in preparing for an interview, I know that you've said before that you, when you think about connecting to country in terms of actual physical kind of connections that, um, that you connected to stars because they don't change um, like landscapes can um, and I thought that was quite fitting you know giving the, the reference to vivid and the lights can you explain was that something that you know you you found a connection to stars as, as a means of like connecting with your Aboriginal identity or was that something that you know was just a very natural connection for you as a kid well, it was always a natural connection for me as a kid. And I think a lot of kids experience that. They love the stars and they love the sky and they have a lot of memories of, you know, falling asleep in the car and staring at the moon and things like that. But also as I grew older and I started thinking about um, my ancestors um, and, and what that means to me and what it can mean to me as an Aboriginal person um, and how it would be difficult for my ancestors to even recognise my country. Like, how can I respect my country um, and respect my ancestors when it has changed so much? Um, and there's very little parts of my country that are still even similar. Um, I think there's a few areas of my country that are a national parkland. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, almost all of my country has been changed by colonisation. Yeah. Um, and then I started thinking about the riverways and the sky and I would sit, you know, in my backyard and look at the sky and I would think that, you know, the moon still moves the same way. It still waxes and wanes in the same way. Um, it still illuminates my country in the same way and the stars still light up the same way. And in the time for thousands of years, maybe one or two stars would have changed, mm. you know. Um, and that gave me a lot of comfort um, that the stars that my ancestors for thousands of years had looked upon were the same stars that I look upon and the same stars that the descendants of my country will look upon for thousands of years. So it is a constant in my country um, and can't be changed by things as simple as development or, you know, um, pollution or things that are outside of my control. Yeah. Um, and having that connection felt very empowering because sometimes I think that as like 
urban or suburban Aboriginal people, we struggle to feel that connection to our traditions and to our people. And um, having that connection made me feel very, um, like, in touch. So was that your experience, that you, as like a urban or suburban child, you didn't necessarily feel so connected? Or what did, um, what did that look like for you? I, I was raised by um, the Aboriginal part of my family right. um, because my, the, my father, who was white, had passed away when I was quite young okay. and I didn't really have any contact with him, with his family um, after that. So I was solely raised as an Aboriginal child and, and we had traditions and we had, I, I, I always say that I was very lucky um, in that I was raised as Aboriginal as I could be um, you know, there was no stolen generations issues. There was no, you know, I was educated to be a smart, powerful Aboriginal woman. Um, but at the same time, you still have identity issues because, um, you know, society tells you that to be an Aboriginal person, you need to be from this area. You need to look like this. You need to sound like this. You need to be like this. And so, like most teenagers, I started having identity issues. Mm. Um, I started thinking, well, I, I don't look like that and I don't sound like that and I don't, you know, like have all of these things. Does that mean that I'm not the right kind of Aboriginal person? Like, mm. am I not doing things in the right way? Um, and How did your fa the rest of your family kind of understand that in you? Um, I think that they thought I was being silly. Um, <laughs> they, they thought that, um, you know, that they, I think for many of them, they didn't understand it. I was the f part of the first generation in my family to be really fair skinned. Right. Um, my mother and her mother and, and all of her family were much darker skinned than me. Um, so me and my brothers and our cousins were the first generation to be really fair skinned um, and to be able to pass as white people. Mm -hmm. um, and that, I think, can cause a lot of identity issues for young people. Um, and that I know, I know that was true for me. Not that I ever thought I wasn't Aboriginal or I ever questioned whether I should identify as Aboriginal. But I think that just when you're a teenager, you're ripe for all those like identity issues and oh, hundred yeah, percent. Like yeah, you just, show me a teenager that doesn't have yeah. identity you're, issues at the best of time. You're already trying to work out who you are and what you yes. are and like what it means to be an adult and what you're going to do and and all of these things. So I I think that. I already had a lot of people telling me that I was very smart for being an Aboriginal person and I wasn't like all those other Aboriginal people. I'm like, what does that even mean? Yeah, you know? especially if you, so you're the only female, like as in the only um, daughter. Yes. And so your mum, you know, obviously mother-daughter relationships can vary all the time, but as the only daughter of you know, Aboriginal mother, like that connection to her, I think, you know, a female's connection to their mother tends to be quite strong and if you felt there was a point of difference for you that must have I would say no my mum was always great and yeah. we're still close to this day yeah um you know and I to be honest someone had to point out to me like in primary school that my mother and I were different colors right because I just didn't, didn't realize yeah. I didn't notice which 
the, the children shouldn't, yeah, right? Like, ch- and children don't. don't notice these things usually. <laughs> um, and, you know, like my, you know, I didn't notice that my mum was a different colour to me. I didn't notice that my nan was a different colour to me because to me, my family was all different colours. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't important. Like, it just really wasn't. Mm. Um, and I didn't know, I think, until I was a teenager what what the differences in skin colour were about, like what it, what it meant and what it meant when we went into, like, further society and what it meant to other people. Mm. Um, but I think as I got older I kind of got over that because I was more self-confident and yeah. it was it was all about me like it was all about how I felt about it um and and coming to those resolutions about what it meant for my ancestors and my country and all of those things made me feel stronger in my self-confidence and, yeah and those things because my family never treated me any different like my they taught me all of the same things they taught me all of the you know it it was never like and and I'll say that the Aboriginal community almost 100% has never treated me any differently for my skin colour it's the wider community that's usually had a lot to say about it yeah you know so and I guess as a teenager, you start to become a bit more aware of your, like, broader kind of uh, the way that you're interpreted by the broader community. Yeah. And self-aware, I guess. Yeah. You know, and just um, aware of how others perceive you and how you want to be perceived and how you want to how you want to look and how you want others to look at you and. You know, and so, so exactly, um, and that's part of what this podcast is about: is like how what we wear represents us and our mm-hmm. sense of identity. So, in terms of um, you know clothing and fa- I know that you'll tell me, Haley, that you're not a fashion person, but I do still think that you represent yourself in a very certain way mm-hmm. that says a lot about who you are. Um, And uh, in terms of that understanding of yourself, even as a child, what was your connection to clothing and what you wore? Was it a practical thing or was it something that you did kind of use as a point of identification as a a younger person? I think a bit of both. Um, I've always been like a bigger, even as a child. Um, So I think that practical is always part of the... Um, part of the conversation and like so it was always finding things that fit Mm -hmm. finding things that were comfortable and then um, the next step was finding things that said what I wanted them to say yeah Um, and that was I think always very annoying for me especially when you're going through those teenagers and you want specific clothing and, and things what what would you have wanted that you didn't feel like you could access oh I think that there was like um clothing trends that happened that all my friends wore that I couldn't wear because mm. they didn't come in my size like it was what the late 90s and there was like uh, cargo oh, the, shorts the like late really, 90s that's a oh, terrible it wasn't a good time for clothing time. I'm not saying it was good it wasn't a good book but there were things that I couldn't wear because yeah. 
Um, it was before um, I think there was a lot of this, you know, clothing in, in all sizes and yeah. a lot more like body positivity things. Mm. Um, so a lot of the clothing that came in larger sizes was almost specifically designed for women in their 40s and 50s. Yeah. And it was just awful. Yeah. Um, and it was rare to find things that actually looked good. Yeah. Um, let alone that didn't cost a fortune and, and were, you know, in the budget of like a 16 year old girl. So how did you overcome that? Did you like, did your mum kind of take you under a wing with that? Or is it just something that you kind of learnt to reject a little bit or? I would say if I wasn't good at fashion, then my mum was terrible. <laughs> um, like I, I, I love my mum, but fashion was never her strong suit. Yeah. Um, I think I just settled on something that I was okay with. Um, which was kind of the, the jeans and t-shirt look. Yeah. Um, and, and I shopped in the men's section a lot um, because the men's section had sizes that suited me and, and clothes that I didn't hate. Right. Um, so like faded blue jeans um, and like different t-shirts. And I guess I expanded on that as I grew older. But I don't think, like, like finding T-shirts that said things that I really liked, um, finding, finding T-shirts that, you know, had messages that I really wanted to say, mm. um, finding really nice sarcastic T-shirts, <laughs> um, finding, you know, T-shirts with, um, like, NADOC prints, like yeah, this one I really yeah. like. Um, I have a whole selection of those. Um, so, you know, but I've never really moved past the jeans and T-shirts, I think, because I, I like them. Yeah. They're, they're pretty um, durable. They last forever. Yeah. Um, a good pair of jeans can last for like five years. Yeah. <laughs> or more. And they're acceptable everywhere. You yeah. You know, like they're, they're almost universal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was watching a documentary on jeans the other day about like the history of denim jeans and um and I, I didn't know any of those things about jeans like where they came from and all so of they the were originally like a utility function yeah. of like yeah they were like utility where they were meant for work yeah work, like miners and like, yeah trade yeah trading. tradies and you know like they were designed to be like you know unbeatable and yeah you know to wear forever um, and I was just like, that's actually really fascinating to me. And now they've turned into this like whole fashion and, you know, you can get a way like, of life almost. Yeah. yeah. You get, like get, design your own patterns and do all these various cool things with jeans. Yeah. Um, and I love that. Maybe that's our next project. <laughs> I, well, I love Upcycling you, jeans with your artwork. You know, we could do all, that. <laughs> do these cool things and you can even like find jeans that have been around since the seventies and, you know, yeah. like they last forever. Um, and I love that, like, you know, it really suits because I, I hate fast fashion. I hate things that just, you know, last three months and then they've got holes in them. And, you know, most of my clothes, I like that they last a really long time. I want clothes that are going to last a really long time. Yeah. Um, partially because I don't like clothes shopping. Mm. I find it boring. <laughs> um, but also, like, I, you know, it suits my ethics. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah, because you, you obviously, um, like I think one of the things that you, you, when we've talked about this project uh, for Vivid, is the engagement for you has been around the discussion around sustainability in the industry and like repurposing what we already have. And I know that even in our attempts to deliver this project, we're kind of looking at options around that um, mm. in the materials that we're using. Yeah. And I know that your artwork is a great place for you to kind of place a sense of identity, but I want to I, I want to come back to that and get back to an understanding of the creative spirit that kind of was born in you as a smaller person. Um, I know art isn't necessarily the first place you went to um, as a career path, but you were you've said that you were surrounded by artists or artwork as a child. What did that kind of creative influence look like for you? Well, um, my grandmother um, was a, a creative person. Um, she surrounded herself with creative people and she always had like artwork on the walls and, and things like that. And her sisters um, were artists and so were their kids. Um, I myself never considered myself an artist. Um, we, we, did you engage in it as a kid? You, you not, just... not unless I was forced to at school. Right. Um, and but you were you bright, know, so yeah, yeah. I was. I was always considered very intelligent. Um, not not to brag, um, but um, you're I allowed to. <laughs> I, I was considered like book smart. Yeah. Um, so I got good good grades and good, you know, um, book smart kind of grades. And I liked art, but I didn't think I was any good at it. Mm. So I didn't really pursue it in any way, um, you know, other than like, you know, childish art kits and things like that. So when it got time to get to high school and, and start picking your subjects and like buckling down, I didn't really pick any art subjects. Did um, you have any, any creative pursuits as a kid? No, just none. Just none. it wasn't. Um, it was just the visibility of it, like through you, I, your grandmother. I liked it, yeah, and I was a, around creative people, but I never really learned anything. Mm. Um, I was. I only started to be taught like artistic protocols um, when I was twenty five. Yeah, um, and that's when I had left other studies. Um, like when I left high school, I studied medicine for a couple of years. Yeah, um, realized that was a huge mistake um, because I would have made a god awful doctor. <laughs> Why do you um, say that? Oh, I just would have been terrible. Like, I I didn't like it. Some of the things were gross. <laughs> um, but also, I just didn't listen very well to, like, people often. Uh, so I don't think I would have been very good at it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I also would have hated it a lot. Mm. And I, I don't think you're ever very good at something if you hate it a lot. So, Do you think it's too much people contact for you? Do you like to have yeah, the lone time of art that art allows you? I think that deep down I'm an introvert. I don't mind spending a bit of time with people, but if it's like every day, <laughs> it's too much. Too I can I can read that about you. I know you're so good. Like you know, we communicate so easily and enjoyably together. But I feel like yeah, at a certain point, Haley, you just be like my patience for other people is now gone. I would go lock myself in a storage <laughs> closet somewhere and pretend I left. Yeah, it's too much. Yeah. So I think that 
Um, I would have been awful. Like after a while, I just would have been snapping at people and being like, you don't need to be here, get out. <laughs> you know? Why are you laughing, Giuseppe? <laughs> Gis yeah. Gis Giuseppe and I work closely yeah. together and, I know. Uh, and I'm the complete opposite. So he has to endure my over extroverted desire for energy and oh, from other I people. sometimes <laughs> for people. And, yeah. and that's why I like it here because like here at Bimali, they have people. Yeah. And I come in and there's people in the studio and I can say hi to people and then I put my headphones on and I do my work yeah. and they don't talk to me and it's fine. Yeah. And, and that's the perfect like medium level. Um, but if there's like people all the time and you've got to like, when you're a doctor, you've got to be polite to people. Yeah. Otherwise you're a terrible <laughs> doctor. Like, otherwise you're like that one doctor that everyone's like, oh yeah, he nearly killed me. Like, yeah. you know, I can't do that. So, so you fell into art more yeah. as a means of just finding a bit of recreation, is that correct? Well, actually, I fell into it as a means of helping my mental health. Yeah. Um, I was about, what, 24, 25, and I was having a bad run with my mental health. So I went to a youth art program mm. to do it for a year. Did someone recommend that for you? Or? Uh, I think I've, I looked it up or I found it or something. Um and it was a, called uh, Creative Youth Initiatives with mm. uh, the Wesley Mission. It's in the city in Surrey Hills. And I remember walking in there and I was like, I really like art, but I'm not any good at it. And they're like, that's okay. And so I went there like four or five days a week and it was really helpful to me. And they helped me realize that I was actually quite good at art. If I put some like patience into it, <laughs> um, you couldn't just like make an artwork in half a day. Like, yeah. Apparently that but was were you, the problem. Were you, because you were a smart kid, were you used to being able to get results yes, quickly? I was yeah. used to being able to just sit down and do things and be perfect at them the first yeah. go. Lucky you. <laughs> but I also realised that when I did my first, like, painting, that it was the first time I'd ever done something that I thought I could do for the rest of my life. Yeah. Like, usually I did something and I was, like, bored with it or I hated it or, like, I was just like, oh, yeah, this will do for now. But it was the first time I ever felt like an inner peace mm -hmm. and I'd never felt that before yeah and I was like oh this is different this is new I love this yeah I, I, I feel nice you know and so then I was like okay now I've got to work out how to like get a job yeah <laughs> and do things and but this is a good start this is a good first step so then I went on and did some studies at TAFE and at uni and actually learned how to do things and it's been really good that was about just over 10 years ago now yeah and you went to the is it sorry you went to you did fine arts at sydney university yeah uh, following that is that uh, right first i went to eora tafe mm. for a couple of years um and then i went to sydney uni yeah. and so i know you've talked about like you know this sense of restlessness mm. um do you think that as you kind of found your patience in in the artwork and and your ability to sit and kind of sit with it um that your uh it was a, a vehicle to then allow you more confidence in your sense of self um yeah i think so i had to learn to be okay to fail mm. like i was talking to you about this project and i'm like 
took me a week of constant failure of trying all these different methods of doing all these different things and nothing was working. Yeah. Um, and in the past, that would have driven me insane. Like yeah. I would have just been like, tell her I quit. Um, <laughs> whereas now I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm like, okay, well, I've tried these 10 things and I know none of them work. Now I've got to try another 10 things because eventually I'll find the thing that works. Yeah. Um, and so I think... Even I wasn't be it clear sticky yeah, tape. Yeah, <laughs> even if it's clear sticky tape, even if it's like, you know, something weird, like I, I've just got to try everything. And yeah. do you, you have know, perf perfectionistic tendencies? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people um, do. And it's not like we're kind of taught that it's not okay to fail, you know, in, in many cases. Like, you, you're traditionally a high achiever, right? So yeah. it's kind of built into you that you should be able to achieve at a high level all I the time. I should be able to just, you know, work it out, fix yeah. it, do it. Yeah. Um, and Which you have done, right? Yeah, eventually. <laughs> but those days where you just sit there for hours and nothing happens yeah. because you just fail repeatedly it's it can be very frustrating and like give you a stomach ache getting back to the that sense of self coming through your artwork um obviously you kind of had that tension of trying to figure out that point of identity through your teenage years so you're in your mid 20s and you you kind of found your spot um you you know you you've gone to university to study art um how did your artwork start to kind of gain your voice um, as you started to learn more about that world? Um, in the first couple of years that I was um, doing my artwork, I had my grandmother with me um, and she didn't teach me too much. She just taught me basic cultural protocols. Mm. Um, some were specific to Darug people um, and, and they were important um, that I needed to know. And some were more uh, generic Aboriginal protocols. Uh, and then just as I was, uh, just before I started uni, uh, she passed away. Right. So, uh, but I felt like she had told me everything I needed to know. And that was... Um, that was important. What a lovely legacy for her to pass on to you. That must yeah. feel really special, hey? It, it was. It was. Um, it was very special. Uh, when I went to uni, it was a really weird time for me mm. um, because when I was studying at TAFE, I was studying an Aboriginal-specific program. Um, so it was Aboriginal cultural arts. So all of the students were Aboriginal. Some of the teachers were Aboriginal. Um, and so it was very culturally appropriate and culturally sensitive and I was learning a lot of um, Aboriginal cultural things. Um, and then I went to uni and I was the only Aboriginal student in my year, possibly in the entire program. I'm not 100% sure about that. Uh, but I definitely was the only one in my year at uni. And so it was a bit weird. Mm. Uh, so I learned a lot of technical skills at uni, a lot of professional art skills at uni, and I felt like it taught me a lot about the art world. Um, but in terms of Aboriginal art, I felt like it taught me very little. Mm. Um, 
I did get a chance to study abroad, which was fantastic. I went to Canada. I chose to go to... That's where he's from. <laughs> I chose to go to Alberta, Canada. Right. In the middle of winter, because I'm from Sydney and have never been anywhere very cold, it was a little bit of a shock because <laughs> on the day I arrived, it was minus 16 degrees. Yeah. Um, and it stayed that, that way for a long time. Yeah. I don't think it ever got above six degrees the entire time I was there. Um, and that was only for a few days. Um, but the reason I chose to go to Alberta, Canada in particular, um, was that they had a high First Nations population. Yeah. Um, and at the particular college that I was going to, they did have, um, quite a few First Nations students. It was a, um, an art school there and I did meet a few First Nations people. So I was able to, to make a few connections there and talk to them about their art and talk to them about my art experience. I mean... The weird irony was that to meet First Nations students at art school, I had to go to a foreign country. Yeah. But it was quite good. Mm. Um, and so did you guys connect on the basis of, like, understanding your First Nations heritage in a more mainstream context and how to kind of integrate yourself into the broader art world? Or, like... What, I, I what would do you say think? the cultural experience of First Nations people in Canada is very, like since colonisation, is very similar to the experience okay. of people here in Australia. Mm. Um, they had an experience very similar to the Stolen Generations. Um, they have experiences very similar to um, like the high imprisonment rates, uh, the... Uh, alcohol and other drug problems that we have, the high infant mortality and morbidity rates, like all, basically all of the statistics are very similar yeah. um, and it affects their lives in the same way that it affects our lives. Yeah. So when you talk to them, they are very similar people to us. Yeah. Um, their culture in and of itself is both similar and different um, in the way they express their culture and their cultural traditions. Mm. But the effect that colonisation has had on them has made them very similar people to us, um, just unfortunately because of their traumatic experiences and our traumatic experiences. Yeah. Um, so I think it's like given them the same sense of humour as us and given them the same tastes in various things, like the same tastes in food because they were given the same um, poor rations that we were given. Right. So they have adapted to that in the same way that we adapted to that. So they have similar tastes. And what about like even the way that they represent themselves, how they present even fashion-wise? What um, was fashion their wise, crossover there? Um, I think their fashion is... Uh, very different they had a much brighter um and they have a lot of beading which was okay. fantastic yeah um beading is really really common in their culture and it's um it can be part of an expression of like many things like celebrations or um uh like uh What's the word I'm looking for? Like um, where they're from, or? where where they're from, but also um, an expression of uh, like 
meeting certain milestones. Okay. Um, you know, uh, like uh, manhood and womanhood and uh, children and like all these various things. So they have uh, various like um, things that they would make for that. Right. Um, Is there anything that you've well, the, been exposed to in Aboriginal culture, your well, culture? The big thing, the big, big difference that I did notice is that they don't have a unified flag the way that we do. Yes. So they have like individual um, tribes or clans might have a flag, mm. but they don't have a flag for their entire nation yeah. the way that we do. And I found that a bit sad because it, like, we have a flag that unifies us as a nation mm. and we use that in fashion, but we also, like the colours we use in fashion, um, people use that as a way to identify themselves. Um, like it's used in so many different ways and it's also yeah. used politically yes um and they don't have that and i i was like surprised by that because i was like oh what's your flag look like and they're yeah. like come again <laughs> um, so they showed me the flag for the area that i was in which was blackfoot yeah um but they had a different flag for like Each further region. north and a different flag for south and so going into that piece i know we've had a conversation about it but i'd love for you to share the story about how you actually used the colors of your flag or um as representation of who you are in your clothing. So um, can you kind of tell us about your graduation from college <laughs> and how you, you interpreted that for yourself? Um, my graduation art piece um, was the biggest artwork I've ever made by hand. Um, and it was a giant Aboriginal flag that I made with fabric. Um, it was all almost all reused fabric. I did make a few um, stops to um, spotlight and a few places. <laughs> um, but then I started going, because that got very pricey very quickly, yeah. um, because it, the flag itself is three metres by five metres, right. or just a little bit over. Um, and then I started going to uh, reverse garbage um, and like a few other places and getting uh, renewable, like uh, various materials. Um, I think there's even a pair of shorts in there <laughs> somewhere. Um, and the, the reason I wanted to make an Aboriginal flag, I think, um, in thinking about it, was because I really wanted to represent myself and my culture um, in that space that, that really felt like it wasn't represented at all. Um, and also the flag itself represents the different ways to be Aboriginal. Mm. Um, it's a patchwork flag. Uh, so each part, like the, the black and the red parts of the flag are made of, of patchworks of different material. And I wanted to do that because I wanted to think about the idea that the, the black part, which is often said to represent the, the skin of the Aboriginal people, and I wanted to use so many different fabrics for that to represent the idea that there is so many different skins, so many different nations, so many different 
colours of that skin, mm. um, that there are just so many different ways to be Aboriginal. Mm. You know, you can, you can be an urban Aboriginal, but you can also be a rural Aboriginal or someone who lives in the bush quite comfortably. And no one person is any less Aboriginal than the other. Yeah, which obviously was a really poignant yeah. and important thing for your sense of self as well. Like yeah. you, I love that you've done that through patchworking fabric, but you also wore this, right? Like you also made this, not the flag, but you made this a wearable item for you on your graduation day. So tell us about the shoes that you wore on your graduation day and why they were so important to you. The first shoes I ever painted um, were a pair of shoes that I wore on my graduation day. Um, and that was really, really important to me um, because I wanted something noticeable um, under the, the gown, <laughs> um, but also because I was the first person in my family to graduate university um, and it was being uh, streamed. I could have uh, two guests um, and then the rest was being streamed. Um, and this was pre-COVID. It yeah. was just, um, you know, very small hall. Yeah. Um, Sydney University yes, Protocols. Sydney University <laughs> um, so I, I wanted it to, to look legit. I wanted it to look good. You know, I was actually wearing a dress for once. I looked, I looked nice. But I still wanted to represent. So I... Um, painted these shoes in fabric paint. They were just some uh, black, you know, high top shoes, pretty generic. Um, but then I, I was painting them the night before frantically. Um, and I was like, I painted my totem, which is the turtle on one of them. And um, I painted um, the, f I painted the flag colors on the sides mm. um, so that they would look all flashy and I was really proud of those shoes. I think they looked fantastic and they looked so good that I got many, many requests to paint other shoes for yep. other people so that they could buy them from me. And now you still sell them through Bamali, right? Yeah, yeah. I sell them in the shop and they're almost all, always sold out. Yeah. Um, so, so do you think, you know, you were saying that before that that sense of like wearing the flag on your sleeve literally is part of what a lot of uh, Aboriginal people like to do, or sorry, Indigenous people like to do to represent themselves. Is that why, like you think that the shoes have been like so poignant? Is, is it, do you think that it's just that it's a point of difference in the way that they've been made or? I do think people like to represent themselves in, in what they wear and like in like in their shoes and their clothes and things. I mean, I'm low key about it, but I still own a stack of like 10 Aboriginal shirts. Yeah. Um, you know, from NADOC Day and from the AMS and from, from everywhere um, because I, you know, I still want to represent my community and, and I'm proud of, of my community and my culture. I think that you want to wear the things that you're proud of, yeah. you know. Um, and I think other people do that as well, like not just like Indigenous people do that. You know, people wear the shirts of the things that they're proud of, you know, but sometimes they're not always like... I don't know, the other not, things like not vegan, as easy to vegan shirts yeah. or vegetarian shirts or 100%. whatever, whatever, you know, but, you know, sometimes for other people it might be designer clothing or, you know, like That's... recyclable materials or whatever the things are that they're proud of. 
um, they wear them and, and they're proud of that. Um, yeah. Some people are more low-key about it and it's, you know, but the, when I wear shirts that I'm really proud of, I also like it when people are like, oh, that looks amazing. <laughs> That's a good artwork on that shirt, you yeah. know. It might not be my artwork on the shirt, but I like it when people are like, oh, that one looks good. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, it does, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. You've yeah. said before that, um, it, did you say, it, Correct me if I'm wrong, but you've said something along the lines of our, our bodies tell the art of our stories. I think I, I said that in a blurb for one of my artworks or yeah. something like yeah. that. And I think that that's very true. Like yeah. um, our, our bodies are very expressive. Yeah. Um, and I think traditionally, you know, for Aboriginal people, we would wear body paint you know, mm. before we danced. And for a lot of dancers, they still do. Yeah. I, I'm not I'm not a dancer. <laughs> but, you know, for, for regular people, um, we don't we do not do that. Like we don't put on, you know, ochre before we leave the house, you no. know. But we, we might put on but, our vegan T-shirt or yeah. our designer label. Or we might put on a spiffy jacket. You yeah. know, if it's winter, we put on the nice coloured jacket that we really like. Yeah. That we put, maybe, you know, maybe we saved up for that jacket because it's like better than the other one we we're going to buy like we we want to wear things that we're proud of if we can you know? and so do you think because obviously there's a level of activism that has kind of thread through your work in a very delightful kind of bright beautiful way um do you think that that kind of is part of you know, like how you were saying before about the t-shirts that you choose to wear that level of activism is a gentle way of you expecting expressing that point of view to the world um, on a daily basis? I do think the art is a really good and easy, low-key way to express things. Mm. Um, for many people who, like, when you walk up to someone and you're like, you know, express your political or personal beliefs to them, usually they shut down. People, mm. people don't really want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Like someone comes up to me and just starts telling me things. I'm just like, yeah, I'm voting. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll vote, you know, blah, blah, blah. Depends on how many people you've spoken to that day, Hayley, and how, how, how much you yeah. time you need on that, that yeah. afternoon. <laughs> but usually unless you instigate the conversation, you don't yeah. want to hear someone else's point of view. Like yeah. you're really not. Like in a day, no. you don't necessarily. Well, especially once you have a developed point of view of the world, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Like when you're younger, you might be interested but usually you're not and you definitely don't want like you know for example if Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door you're not interested like but with artworks you will look at them um a lot of people just look at them quickly and move on I think they timed it once in a study and said that the average person looks at a painting in a museum for 15 seconds or less mm. um however um, in, in a lot of cases, they look at the picture, they read the blurb and then they move on. But if it leaves them to think about something, you know, even if it's like, you know, one in a hundred people to think about something or to research something or to change their view on something, it's a softer way to do things. It's a softer approach. I think fashion can do the same thing. Um, it depends on the fashion. Mm. Um, and do, you, do you think your your style does that for other people? Sometimes. I've had interesting conversations with people. I'm not sure. 
I well, given well, given that you do, you you basically like it right now, you're wearing a piece of artwork on your t-shirt. Mm. Um, do you not think that that potentially then allows people to engage with the t-shirt, with the artwork that's on the t-shirt, mm. and provoke even just an awareness of who you are and a way of of understanding an Aboriginal identity yeah. right here. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, um, when I wear like shirts with interesting artworks on them or Aboriginal messages on them, I almost always end up having a conversation with someone about them yeah. or, or just like a few words. Do you think that's why you like doing it though? Like, what, like why you like wearing those T-shirts? Because it, it helps that so, engagement? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that there's different ways to engage with people about Aboriginality mm. um, and this is a, a gentler way, an easier way. Yeah. Um, and, and for me that's okay. Like I've spent a really long time, like 20 years, having to have a lot of conversations with people that were not always easy. Um, and then I got to a point where I was just like, I don't have to talk to idiots all the time. Like yeah. I don't have to explain to people. Like I'm, I'm not Wikipedia, you know. Yeah. I don't. So I'm willing to talk to people, but I'm not willing to always talk to ignorant people. Fair enough. So. And I, there is. Do you feel that there's a pressure to educate people? Yes. Mm. I, I feel like that sometimes it's seen almost like you should be educating the public for some reason mm. um, or if you choose not to you're being rude mm. um, and I'm just like I'm just trying to go about my day <laughs> you know like I'm just trying to get the bus <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, I don't really want to talk to you especially when you're being really rude like yeah. Um, so yeah sometimes there is when it's like actually my job I'll educate you or when you know when you're being polite, I'll educate you, but, you know, it's not, there, there shouldn't be, um, I feel like there shouldn't be an expectation. Yeah. Especially because, you know, um, many of the other Aboriginal people I speak to um, get frustrated by it. Um, like, I'm a bit more open to it because I'm like, ah, I don't, I don't mind. Um, but not all of them can blend in the way I can. Like mm. I can, you know, I wear a different shirt and I have the day off. Um, they don't have the day off. Mm. Like they, they have to wear the skin they're in, you know, and that's not fair, mm. you know. So. In terms of um, your sense of confidence, mm. um, do you feel like as your art, your body of artwork grows, that sense of self in you grows? Like, do you think that your artwork is that means to continue to express yourself and, and grow who you are? In a sense, yeah. Like, I feel like um, as, as the, the artwork that I do grows the things that I do and also the experiences that I have in doing them, like trying different things. Mm. Um, like I feel like it matures you as an artist, like it, it makes you ready to try more different things and also like you can use those different things to make different artworks um, and you're just more ready 
to to be like because I I know or I've I've studied some artists who just do the same thing over yeah. and over again for like which you years. which you are not doing. <laughs> um, and probably I probably have ADHD or something. Um, but yeah, they just do the same thing and and they perfect that one little brush stroke or they perfect that thing, and that's that's fine. But I like. I do painting for six months solid and then I'm like, okay, it's time to move on. Yeah. You know, it's time to do, to do some sculpture making or, or sculpture. Yeah. Or, or yeah. paint on mannequins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like I get I get bored yeah. um, and then I move on. But like building up my skill set of trying different things means that when I want to like, I always say that when the, the artwork isn't about the medium, it's about the idea and the story that I want to tell. Yeah. So when I have the story that I want to tell, that's when I choose the medium. Right. Um, because if the story is like, okay, I need to be told through sculpture, then I'm like, okay, I'll do sculpture. Mm. Um, but if it needs to be told through like, I don't know, charcoal on paper, then that's what it's going to be done. So in terms of telling a story, there is an important um, artwork that you've done that's about your story and I, it's Goddess Weeping, is that right? Is that? Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that was initially designed as a self-portrait. Mm. Tell me about her and why you love her. <laughs> um, I've done, you know, um, a few different uh, self-portraits over time. Um, but... Uh, that's probably uh, one of my favourites because um, I struggled to do that one, um, but that was one of the first ones I ever did and it turned out really well <laughs> and I was surprised because I was like, oh, you know, I had a, I guess I had a, an image of what a self-portrait should look like yeah. and I think that was one of the first steps for me in breaking the image of what things supposed were supposed to look like or had to be, mm. and can you describe her so that the people listening can get a sense of what she looks like? Um, she's very round, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, she has her arms folded across her belly, like, and no, she's how how I always picture her, and she has big crazy eyes. <laughs> yeah. Um, because that's how I pictured myself at that time. It's just taking up a lot of space and being very round and just like having crazy eyes. Because <laughs> um, you don't I'm, have crazy eyes to me. But my friend always describes me as having crazy eyes. I'm like, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, you talked about body positivity before. Um, do you think that that, like, creating goddess weeping was a way of you embracing body positivity I for think yourself? So. Yeah. Um, I think that was the first step because, like, I made that and then people were like, oh, you don't really look like that, you know. Like, I don't yeah. see you like that. And I'm like, yeah, it's not it's a self-portrait. It's yeah. not about you. Yeah. It's not about you, okay. Um, but for me it was just, like, I think a little bit of radical self-acceptance yeah. because I just wanted to um, accept that I wasn't seeing myself in a way that was real. Yeah. Um, but also I wanted to make something like I wanted to make something that was okay by me like I just that's how I felt 
when I thought about myself. So I wanted to make that and I wanted to be okay with it. And I really was because I wanted to see that even if that was the way I looked, it could still be beautiful. Mm. And I was like, well, it is. Like, even if this is as bad as it is, and it's not, but even if it was, it was still beautiful and it was still okay. Yeah, and, and it is. And, and it's, yeah. it's really lovable. I think that's why people really like it because it's yeah. taken on different forms, hasn't it? Yeah, I did quite a few. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, and it... Like I've done different, you know, like I said, it was the first one I did, but it's taken on like different manifestations over time to become like a little bit of a mascot, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, and I do, I do love her now, yeah. but I don't see her as much like myself anymore. Yeah. Um, I think because part of that body positivity was accepting that that wasn't who I was. Um, in what sense? In, it wasn't physically, like, I I didn't see myself that way anymore. Yeah. Um, and that was good um, yeah. because, you know, it was how I saw myself at the time and, you know, it was like, I think being an artist can be really hard. Like, you have to be, like, radically honest sometimes, especially with yourself. You know, I think to at least be a good artist, you have to be radically honest. Um, and at that time, you know, that was how I saw myself. That was my self-portrait. But I think if I was to do it again today and do a self-portrait, it would look very different. Do you think as your kind of that sense of self develops, um, you, you, you know, obviously you, you've kind of established um, quite a, a uniform for yourself, if you like, you know, with your durable denim and your um, artful T-shirts and what have you. Do you think that that will change or shift for you over time? The I way actually, that you, you know, you, that you represent yourself through clothing? I think, like, I've been talking to a friend about this a lot because um, I've been losing a lot of weight. Yeah. Um, you know, with, with quite a lot of hard work and everything. And um, we've been joking about whether I'll become some sort of fashionista or start liking clothing <laughs> shopping or, or anything. Um, I had to buy a new pair of jeans last week and, you know, because my old ones were just falling off. Um, but I haven't bought any new T-shirts yet and they're still massive. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'm going to go on that teenage, you know, shopping spree that I never went on. And it's going to be interesting to see. I don't know whether, like, I think in the studio, I think my uniform will stay pretty much the same because jeans and T-shirts are very durable and useful and I get them covered in paint and clay and all sorts of nonsense and I, yeah. I doubt that I'll change that. Yeah. But I don't know if outside the studio my, my look will change, yeah. you know. And I think it's exciting. I think that's part of what fashion does it can be exciting because you can change over time and you can change your whole look for no reason yeah you know? yeah you can just go and decide that you want a whole different color palette or you want a whole different look and you know you, you go and do it yeah so well if you're ready for it Katie you know that I'm more than willing to <laughs> like embrace styling you and, and getting some great um, vintage clothes for you to. You in mind. <laughs> I will. <laughs>
Well, Hayley, thank you so much for sharing your style story with me today. And um, I'm looking forward to continuing to work on this magic project with you. I'm, I'm excited to see how it ends up on all the clothing. <laughs> Hayley's approach to style may be pragmatic, but whether it's in her art or in her clothes, she's always sure to tell her story. Hayley has a tendency to wear her art on her sleeve and like her work, her style is sure to express her strong sense of Aboriginality and the diversity within her culture. Hayley's body of work has evolved to become an important site for her own story, whether it be in terms of self-development, body positivity or challenge and adventure. And as we see the confidence in Hayley's story grow, we can look forward to watching the evolution of her style.